Uh, this is Pastor Rob Barber of Bethel Church in Tempers Plains, Ohio, where our mission is connecting people to God. Welcome to our podcast. I'm very excited to share the Word of God with you today, because according to Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I trust this message will increase your faith as you listen to what God has for you today. God bless and enjoy. I think it's appropriate that we're talking this morning about heart trouble. You know, a lot of people have physical heart trouble in our society, especially in, uh, it seems like uh, here in the United States and Great Britain, uh, some studies have been made and uh, it seems that Japanese eat very little fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or the Americans. On the other hand, the French eat a lot of fat and also suffer fewer heart attacks than the British and the Americans. The Japanese drink very little red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or the Americans, and the Italians drink excessive amounts of red wine, so that's not the answer. Also suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or the Americans. So what is the conclusion of all this? Eat and drink whatever you want. It's speaking English that's the problem. <laughs> well, we know that's not true, but it's crazy that these kind of things happen in our society. Uh, probably does have something to do with diet, but we're not totally sure. However, I know that our God has sanctioned us to be able to eat whatever. You know, we read that in the New Testament. The only stipulations was put on the Gentiles was not to eat blood and sacrifice to idols, you know, and stay away from fornication, of course, or ungodly behavior in regards to sexual uh, conduct. Reference to the heart occurs 380 times in the King James Version. So I guess that's a good reason for us to check it out and see, you know, what is this thing, the heart, when it comes to spirituality? And we're not talking about the physical heart because almost every place in the Old Testament and New Testament that is, the heart is reverenced, it has nothing to do with the physical organ. It has to do with the spiritual heart that we have. A little preschooler uh, girl went to the doctor's office and the doctor put the stethoscope on her uh, uh, chest and put the, the uh, items in her ear so that she could hear what was going on. And she heard that beating and beating. And then she took the, the stethoscope and started listening. And she said to the little girl, what is it that I hear in there? Uh, do I hear Peppa Pig? Is she in there? Do I hear Barney? The little girl set her straight. She said, no, Jesus is in my heart. Barney's on my underwear. Appropriate place for Barney. So, <laughs> what is the heart? I think that's important that we understand that. We, we talked about this just last week. I was able to touch on this part of what is the heart. Uh, I just gave you some things that the heart does according to Scripture. The heart thinks. The heart understands. The heart has a will. The heart is deceitful. 
Ooh, the heart has desires, emotions. In the Hebrew, the, the word uh, for heart is lev, uh, and it talks about the innermost part of the individual. The heart in Greek is cardia, and, and both of these denote the center of all physical and spiritual activity in an individual. It's our mind, will, and emotions. It's attached to our soul, and we'll talk about that as we get into this. Your heart is who you really are. It's who you are on the inside. It's not the person that you try to project on the outside, because we all do that. And uh, we, we want to look good, sound good, smell good. Some of us fail in all those areas, but <laughs> praise God. <laughs> praise God. Amen. So, <laughs> you disrupted me, Ivy. <laughs> oh, that's all right. <laughs> There's an old Irish blessing, which I think is pretty interesting. It says, may those who love us love us, and those who don't love us, may God turn their hearts. And if he doesn't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles so we'll know them by their limping. Hearts are turned in the body of Christ. I believe that with all my heart. Hearts are changed. So let's take a look this morning. My second point is, where is the heart located? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Now, I'm going to be sharing a lot of scriptures. I'm just going to be putting them on the screen. But it's your responsibility to take note of these, write them down. And check it out for yourself. Make sure that Pastor Rob is telling you the truth about the, what the Word of God says. You are responsible. You're to be a Berean. And that is to, to know uh, what the Word of God says. Search it out for yourself. If we take somebody else's word for what the Word of God says, we can be greatly deceived. And I can tell you right now, in the world that we live in, there's a lot of people... A lot of so-called preachers that are deceiving people and not teaching them what the Word of God really says. They're woke, for a better word, and they've turned from what is truly the gospel of Jesus Christ to a gospel that is pleasing to man and is all-encompassing. It will accept anybody and anything, any behavior in the body of Christ. God does not and will not. He expects certain types of behavior from His believers. And it's outlined in the Word of God. We know it. We understand it. I know when it comes to the, the arguing about homosexuality, people like to go to the Old Testament, Leviticus, and say, look at, look at all the, these things were, uh, are against uh, are outlined in the Word of God, and God calls them sin. And what we have to understand is, and what we need to recognize in regards to this argument, is that there are three types of law in the Old Testament. There's civil law, there's religious law, and there's moral law. The civil law was for the Jews in the Old Testament so that they would stand out from the rest of the world. And it's a, you know, for the most part, it was very good things. 
the religious law was also to make them stand out and be different than the rest of the world. Jesus said he came and fulfilled the law. That's the law he was talking about, fulfilling the religious law. The moral law is the Ten Commandments and things that proceed from them. The kind of law that is important for all people all over the world for all time. Moral law is what we stand on. That's why we have an argument that certain behaviors are wrong in God's sight. The New Testament outlines it very well. It tells us what kind of behavior a Christian should have. First of all, love God and love people above all else. But loving people does not mean that you accept their lifestyle and allow them to go to hell. Loving people means that you preach the truth to them. They have a choice. Now, here's the thing about our society. Our society has chosen to accept same-sex marriage, and they're, they're pushing all these uh, issues in regards to sexuality, that you can be whatever you want to be. It doesn't matter what sex you were born with. You can change that if you want, if you feel different inside. So we have to recognize that we are standing on God's moral law when we stand against these things. But our society says it's okay. So outside, out there, people can do whatever they want to do. In the church, people have to recognize that if you are going to be a born-again Christian, you claim to be a born-again Christian, you have a responsibility to repent of your sin and turn from it regardless of what it is. Repent and turn. We love all people. We hate all sin. Amen. It's destroying people's lives. There's other things that are destroying people's lives. You know, addiction is a horrible thing that's destroying people's lives. Adultery. How is it that we accept adultery so much in our society and fornication? Having sex outside of marriage. You know, we don't talk about those things these days because it's so readily accepted in our society, but it's destroying families. Marriage is horrible, or marriage is horrible. No, it's not. I'm sorry. <laughs> marriage is good. <laughs> Divorce is horrible. Divorce destroys people. God still loves those people that get divorced. And He sometimes brings them back into a family relationship. You know, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've, you've been divorced, God still loves you, and He forgives you, and He moves you on. Praise God for that. But you're not living that sinful lifestyle. See, that's, that's the difference. We've got we to gotta delineate between, you know, what the lifestyle is and what Christ did in our heart. Because they are merged to one another. When God forgives us, we're able to walk in a new way. I'm probably getting way ahead of myself this morning. Because we're just talking about where the heart is located. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Breathed 
into is a it's a primitive root to puff in various applications, literally to inflate or blow in. But we know that what God is saying here, that He spirited into man a spirit. He breathed into man a spirit that caused that body and soul that He created to become alive. A living being. It was just lying there on the ground. And God spirited into it, breathed life into that body. And life came into it. It started to breathe. It began to have life because of the presence of Almighty God. It's the only thing that gives us life. It's the only thing that keeps us alive. It's God's will that we live. God blew into the nostrils of man. And he became a nephesh, a living soul. And that word is translated soul most often. Living being, life, self, person, desire, appetite, emotions, and passions. Nephesh is found 753 times, which 475 times it's rendered soul. Other times life, person, mind, heart, creature, body. So... As we can see that, you know, there's a a merging here. An understanding of the spirit gives life and the soul comes to life. And within the soul, there's this thing that we refer to as the heart. The mind, will, and emotions of who we are. The New Testament used the corresponding word for nephesh is suke. Revelation 6, 9, when he opened the fifth seal, he saw under the altar the souls, the nephet, or the suke, of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony that they had held. Their souls were there. Their spirit and soul was still alive. You see, when God merged the soul and spirit, he made it in such a way that it could not be separated except by him. That's why we're alive. And that's why we will have eternal life. Regardless of who we choose to serve in this world, eternal life is going to be yours. That's why it's important that you choose wisely what happens to you after this life. You have the opportunity now to make sure that you serve the living God, that you receive Christ as your personal Savior. You serve Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. If you refuse, if you reject him, the alternative is horrible. I love everyone enough. If you're watching me here this morning via online, I love you enough to say, repent and receive Christ as your personal Savior. There's salvation in the Lord. The outline of biblical usage says this about soke. Uh, it's a soul, and so far it is constituted that by the right use of the aids offered it by God, it can attain its highest end and secure eternal blessedness. Now that's a lot of alpha, alphabets in a little bowl, but I want and what I mean by that is that they used a lot of words to say something really simple. They merely was trying to say that the soul is our moral being designed to 
for everlasting life because of the spirit that we have in us. That's so important that we grasp that and we recognize that that's how we're created. But notice this, it has the same characteristics as the heart, the seed of the feelings, desires, affections, the mind, the will, the emotions. A heart is part of the soul. It's the living being that we are. The life-giving spirit that God breathes into us, our nostrils is united with our soul realm. 1 Peter, 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You see, it's the soul that God is most concerned about. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Praise God. This grace of the salvation of the soul has come to us today. That's awesome. And I know I'm the only one excited about that this morning, but, but I am. I praise God for it. We're alive. We're living beings that have a soul that can spend eternity with the living God. Prepare yourself for that. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And Jesus uh, talks to him in depth about spiritual things. And Nicodemus wants to know, you know, what, is, what about this salvation thing? Jesus said to Nicodemus in verse 5 and 6, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So I want you to see that Jesus is saying there is a spiritual birth. It's your spirit that becomes born again, and that's your soul then lives forever with God. It's your soul that's going to go on. Your spirit is born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do you know that science cannot tell you why you're alive? They really have no idea what keeps you going, what keeps your heart beating, except this. They do know that the cardiac conduction system is a group of muscles that's around your heart, and there's a faint electrical impulse that is generated. And that keeps your heart beating. But they can't tell you why it's there. They don't understand. All they know is it's there. I know why it's there. It's there because God put it there. It's there because our God created man in His image. And then he breathed or spirited into man the spirit of life. And we live and breathe and have our being in the Lord. So your heart is part of your soul, your consciousness. The only way for us to even come close to understanding this is just to accept what God says. Hebrews 4.12, for the the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's Word. That's why it's so important that we, we get in and stay in God's Word because God's Word helps us to discern the right thinking, 
the thoughts and intents of our heart. If you're not careful, the world will suck you in to believing the things that they are preaching about. And, believe, and make no, no doubt about it. I'm not, you know, not going to mince words about it. They're preaching. They're preaching as much as I'm preaching. They're preaching a false doctrine. But they're preaching to you. Because they want to convert you to their way of thinking. Praise God. We have the Spirit of God in us that help us, helps us to discern by taking the Word of God, imparting it, implanting it in our hearts and our minds, and causing us to be able to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When I was a kid, once in a great while, my parents would allow us to stay up late. Most of the time when my, uh, my cousins would visit. We'd stay up late and watch Chiller. Anybody ever, you know, I'm, I'm dating myself with this, I know. But chiller. And when we watched Chiller, it was always on after the news. It was real late at night. Most of the time, I couldn't stay awake. I'd fall asleep. Pro most of, and a lot of that was because I had my head covered up because I was scared. <laughs> Vampires, and you know. But the one that I remember most is Frankenstein. He, the Frankenstein, uh, Professor Frankenstein brought the Frankenstein monster to life. Now, as I got a little older, I remember a comedic satire called Young Frankenstein. Uh, if anybody's ever seen that, it's a crazy movie, a little inappropriate in, in many places. Not as bad as movies are today, but, but uh, somewhat. It was, uh, it was, Directed by uh, Mel Brooks, who is a crazy man himself. Uh, but I remember Gene Wilder was the, the young Frankenstein. And I just remember, it's, it's implanted in a mind. When he, when he saw that the monster was alive, he just got real excited. It's alive! It's alive! <laughs> I don't know why. That's, that just can't get that out of my mind. But that was just a movie. But guess what? I think maybe, Jesus, maybe God felt the same way. When man came, it's alive. Look what I've done. It's living. It's alive. It breathes. It has a mind, will, and emotion. It can make choices. God, God doesn't make mistakes, but that choice thing. That's been really tough for us as humans. We have all the problems we have in this world today because God gave us a free, created us free moral agents to make choices. Too many are making the wrong choice. Christ is without a doubt alive in us. Our third, my third point is that God knows the secrets of your heart. This is a really important part of the heart. You can't hide anything from God. He knows everything that's in your heart. You can't try. You can hide things from men. You know, there's things in all, probably all our hearts that we have not divulged to other people. But God knows it. Every part of it. 
Psalms 44, 21. What, would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Trying to hide anything from God is a moral problem for each and every one of us. Now this, here's the thing. God forgives. It doesn't matter what we've done. You may have something in your heart that you feel really bad about. You've never told anybody. You've done something. God forgives that. He's a forgiver. He wipes away all sin. Casts it away. Cleanses it. Don't allow the enemy to use that against you. To put you in bondage. And to keep you from being all that God has called you to become. And he will. He'll bring that up in your mind. Over and over and over. That's why the word of God is so important. It's the, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than to it. Sword. It helps you discern that, hey, that's not who I am any longer. I'm a child of the most high God. I serve a great and mighty God. He has forgiven me of my past sins. And we go on from there. And He will forgive me of everything I do in the future. Now, that does not give us a license to sin. Amen? It's not like, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said they were talking to a, to a, a gentleman that claimed to be a Catholic. And uh, he was talking about, this guy was talking about how he went out and was boozing and all kinds of things, carousing around. Uh, and he said to him, you know, that, that's, not, that's not scriptural. You can't live that way. And he said, oh, yeah, all I have to do is go to confession. I'll be forgiven. No, not all Catholics believe that, but evidently there's a segment that does. So, you know, we're not talking about just living your life any way you want. We're talking about striving to serve the living God and recognizing that we are human, you know, frail flesh that does continue to make mistakes. You know, Jesus told us this about forgiveness. He said, if you don't forgive from the heart, your Father will not forgive you. That's a heart condition that is very troubling to me because I know this, that there are families sitting in church all over this world, particularly in the United States. You know, Vince asked you, did any of you have a fight on your way to church this morning? Well, nobody raised a hand. You're not that stupid. <laughs> but there's things that are happening in families. And let me tell you what, what happens is we know there's, there's unforgiveness between spouses because every time they get in an argument, they pull out their six-shooter and they have... Numerous bullets, usually at least six. And every time they have an argument, they use the same bullets time and after time again. You did this and you did that. And you, you remember back when you, did, you said this to me? If we can't forgive our spouse, how can we forgive anyone else? You need to put that weapon away. Put it in the safe. I've got my weapon in a safe at home. 
I don't pull it out unless I absolutely need it. That's a weapon you will never need. And you need to throw it away. Get rid of it. Don't use it again in your relationship. If you forgive, you truly forgive and you cast it away. Don't allow it to be in your heart. Here's something I know about the heart. God knows everything. And he sometimes, he will manipulate, that's probably not a real good word, but he will cause circumstances to happen that cause us to recognize that he's speaking directly to us. God will give you a direct word. And sometimes the one delivering that word doesn't even know that he's giving you a direct word. It's just the Spirit of God that is working in you and for you. There's a story that I just read recently. It's about a true story about uh, a professor from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth. And he was preaching in Nevada. And he was normally a very reserved guy, but he was passionate about souls. And he was, he was uh, speaking in that church that Sunday morning, and he was talking about salvation, and you need to come to Christ, and that you, you need to, to repent and turn from your sin. And he said, so Buster, if you are here and your heart's not right with God, you need to get down here and get saved. He made an altar call, and the first person down was a young man. He looked at the professor, and he said, my name is Buster, and I want to get right with God. Buster was there. Like, you know, they had, that professor had no idea what he was saying. He wasn't really speaking directly to Buster, but the Spirit of God that's why I believe that even, I don't care, you could be in the deadest church in the world. God is still able to minister and touch people's lives. But if you're in that church, get out. Fourth thing, the last thing I want to share with you this morning is that God gives believers a new heart. Hallelujah. We have a new heart. It's new. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of acting, a new way of behaving in our lives. So it was when he had turned his back to go to Saul. We're talking about about, um, Samuel anointing Saul to become king. And Saul didn't, he was really very reluctant. He didn't really want to become king. But this is what Samuel said to him. And that God uh, gave him another heart. And all those things came to pass that day. That's 1 Samuel 10, 9. What had happened was Samuel told him certain things are going to happen. And uh, your God is going to place a new heart in you. And from that moment on, he, he began to prophesy. And he began to do things that were very different than the kind of person that he was before. God can impart a new heart in each and every one of us. I believe God is in the heart-changing business above all else. He wants you to recognize that He has changed your heart already when you're a believer in Jesus Christ 
And he does not want to stop changing your heart. It's important that we understand that. Within our heart, we need to have changes on a regular basis. That's why that word of God is so important. It discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. It changes us. There's a crazy story told about uh, a mouse. A mouse was playing in the field when along came a cat. The cat chased it all the way to the woods, and the, the mouse said to, to God, now remember, this is just a crazy story. <laughs> mouse said to God, change me into a cat. So God changed him into a cat. A few days later, he was roaming around in the field again, and along came a dog, chased him into the woods. Then the cat said, change me into a dog. God changed him into a dog. A few days later, the dog was rummaging around, and all of a sudden, there was a, a lion, a tiger. It was a tiger. I can change the story any way I want. <laughs> tiger came along and chased the dog, and the dog cried out, Turn me into a tiger. He became a tiger. Later on, some hunters came by. These natives, they liked to use the, the fur of the tiger. and they, they needed that tiger, so they chased the tiger. And they chased it all over the place. And finally, the tiger cried out to God. said, turn me into a man, a hunter. And God said to the tiger, which was a mouse originally, I have transformed you from a mouse to a cat, from a cat to a dog, from a dog to a tiger, and now you want to be transformed from a tiger to a man. I can make you whatever you wish to become, but if your heart remains to be a mouse, you will always fear everything in life. That's why we need a heart change. We need God's presence in our heart. Because he has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When we capture that in our lives, then we are able to move on from just basic salvation, but into all the things that God has for us individually and corporately as a church. Ezekiel prophesied 700 years before Christ, then I will give you one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statues, keep my judgments and do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. He's our God. He's taken that stony heart out. He's put a heart of flesh. That doesn't mean that that heart doesn't need to be renewed from time to time. A heart that is changed should refuse to practice sin. It should be fixed on the things of God. A man I know had a four-way bypass, and it was, seemed to be successful, but a few days later that they discovered that uh, one of the stitches had come loose and his heart was leaking. So they had to go back in and fix it. But they were able to fix it. 
and now he's doing very well. From time to time, our hearts must leak a little bit sometimes. I think maybe we just need that renewed experience, that heart change. God, you know, my heart just doesn't, it's not right with you right now. Help me to get back to where I once was. Help me to even go beyond that so I can move and, and into new things and new realms. You have called me to much greater things than to just sit in a pew on Sunday morning. I've been called to minister to my family, each and every one of us. We have been called to minister in the marketplace, wherever we work, wherever we go. We have been called to minister in whatever capacity we are serving, whatever we're doing. I'm so thankful for Laura and Beth, uh, you know, that they're doing this uh, hilltop, it's hilltop ministry, is it? What? Hilltop co-op. Okay. And they're doing this for homeschoolers. We didn't realize the need for this, but it's becoming abundantly clear that there is a great need. And it's not a school, it's a support group. They do do some teaching and they uh, have some recreation time and that sort of thing, but it's a support group for homeschoolers. I'm excited about it because I can see the potential that is taking, that is, that is taking place right now and it's going to take place. It's exciting. Those are, you know, it's just a small, may seem like a small thing, but it's incredibly important. When we minister to our family properly, there's nothing more important than that. Hold strong. Be faithful. I know some of you in here are single. Some of you have, are single parents. You have huge responsibility. and We're praying for you every day. We believe that God is still on your side. Still moving you in the right direction. God is in the process of continuing to change hearts. And I believe He's changing hearts this morning. As we cry out to Him. I've seen Him do it numerous times. It doesn't have to be in a special service. It can take place Sunday morning or it can take place at home in your prayer time. God wants to change whatever is going on in your life. Last story. A young man who led worship in uh, a church in England. He and his uh, group of worship leaders were confronted by the pastor and the pastor said to them, he said, you know, uh, I really believe that you guys are more interested in uh, the worship or the accolades that you receive from people than you are in leading people into worship. You need to, to think about that and change, ask God to change your heart. Well, most of them got upset and left the church. But one young man who is very talented, wonderful singer, songwriter, decided that, hey, he got upset at first, but he said, you know, I think he's right. And he got on his knees before the Lord and repented and asked God to change his heart. A few months later, Matt Redmond wrote the, the most, uh, a very important worship song, Coming Back to a Heart of Worship. And he, he's known all over the world now. He's, in fact, one of the songs we sang this morning, I believe he was co-author of. 
God knows how to exalt us, but we got to learn to humble ourselves before Him. That song goes, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. That's our life. It's all about you, Jesus. Stand with me. If you'd like to have prayer this morning, please come forward. We'll do that as we wrap up the service. Hello, this is Pastor Rob again. I pray you enjoyed this podcast. What a blessing it has been to have you join us on this social media platform. If you would like more information about Bethel, please check out our website at BethelChurch.community. You can also follow us on our Facebook page at Bethel Church, Tepper's Plains. Have a blessed day and remember, love never fails.